Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. everybody what's going on welcome to another episode of the nomad strength show today we have got sawyer clark joining us on the show and i'm really I, I was really excited to talk to sawyer he is one of the marketing guys at tier one concealed but i found him uh through his instagram page where he talks a lot about uh precision shooting, long-range shooting, preparedness, and a lot of things in the firearms world. And I really appreciated his uh, perspective on a lot of this. So I wanted to know how he got into it, uh, what kind of things he enjoys doing. And we really kind of nerded out on some long-range shooting stuff, which I was really excited to learn about because that's a, a world I find fascinating. But he had a really good, uh, he had lots of really good input as far as preparedness and things you want to look for when you are starting the firearms realm. If you've never been into firearms, if you've never been into guns or uh, trained with them at all, he gives a lot of great practical advice. And uh, it was really fun to talk to him and get to uh, experience what he's gone through and what he learned and what he finds valuable in that realm. So uh, this was a really great conversation. You guys are going to dig it. If you haven't yet, go check out the Patreon. Uh, if you guys are a part of the Patreon, you get exclusive content like the extra patron-only podcast I put out every other week or every week uh, called Unplugged. And there's tons of other stuff about to be rolled out there. So go check it out. The link is down in the in the uh, show notes section. So let's get into it. This is my conversation with Sawyer Clark. All right, now we're live. So. Nomad Strength Show here with Sawyer Clark, a.k.a. Clark Shooter on yeah. IG. How you doing, man? Doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm pumped to talk to you today because this is, man, we're uh, this is like a pretty potent week for gun mm -hmm. stuff happening. It like, has been, yeah. Lots it, of stuff like, today, actually. Lots of stuff today specifically. And if, you know, whenever, I don't know when this one's going to air yet, but today is June 23rd. So mm -hmm. a handful of things have happened today and then are, you know, in the previous few days and coming up in the next probably week or maybe some other things going down too. Um, so this seemed like a very timely one. Plus there's a bunch of stuff I want to just from a, a knowledge standpoint, want to ask you about too, um, because you're, you're very involved with a firearm and specifically a lot of long range stuff, which I'm super interested yeah. in because that's really cool. Um, and so I want to get into a little bit of that, but uh, I kind of would just want to start with some, some story from you on like what kind of drives this, this enjoyment or this passion for, for firearms and for the long range stuff. Like how, where did all this come from? Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up like, I'm just a, a country boy. I grew up in, uh, well, I was born here. I live in Logan, Utah. I was born here. And then my parents moved uh, up to Idaho. Let me tilt this camera down. But um, yeah, I moved up to Idaho, lived around Idaho Falls and up to Rexburg. And I was really close to my uh, grandpa on my mom's side. And my dad's always been like just extreme outdoorsman, like trapping, hunting, yeah. 
everything, everything you think of. So I grew up doing that, always hunting, everything with guns. My dad got me into uh, shooting at a very young age. Um, so at, when I was five, I was uh, mostly shooting shotguns. He got me a little, it was a, a Stoger Condor 20 gauge. It was really short. So that that's really where I started. But I mean, obviously I started with like Red Rider BB guns younger than that and stuff. And that's what constantly always just had air rifles with me. Yeah. But yeah, the, the shotguns are what really got me into more into like competitive stuff and really trying to just, you know, get better with the skill, sure. be a lot more proficient. And then um, when I really started kind of getting into more precision stuff, it started when I think I was nine or 10. My dad brought home an RWS Diana model 45 uh, air rifle from a coworker that he bought it from. And it was those, if, if you know, air guns, like those back in the day, it was an old air rifle, but those were like money. Top those things line. were nice. Yeah. And it was extremely accurate for just a one seven seven cal brake yeah. barrel air rifle. And it had a, had a good little, uh, cheap scope on it, but I put hundreds of thousands of pellets through that and killed probably <laughs> too many innocent animals. But just one day I was out on my, uh, behind my grandma's house. She had a, they lived out in the country and there's a canal that would split and then go about five miles and come back together. And we just called it the Island. And I would just spend days down there. And one day there was a, I saw just a, it was a plastic bottle or a pop can. I think it was like, 80 or 90 yards away and back then that was that was a poke so yeah, seriously i started just trying to i was like doing just like the kentucky windage because just had a duplex reticle and i got to where i was holding i don't know probably three feet over it and a little bit to the right for for wind or spin drift i don't know if spin drift affects pellets but it could have been <laughs> but i i started just smacking it using that same hold and i was like this is so cool because there was like there's a little bit of a delay because the pellets slow and right stuff like that but i was i was hooked on that and i actually ended up getting myself in trouble because one winter i went and took some clay pigeons and put them in my uh, out in our pasture in our backyard and it was snowy so that it was just like you know just a white sheet and it was like 60, 70 yards. And I'd put them out there and I'd shoot them out of my, out of our kitchen window so I could stay warm. I just cracked the window and just rested there. <laughs> and awesome. then that's the next summer, our neighbor who had just recently built a house in that said pasture comes over with a handful of pellets. And he's like, these are in the side <laughs> of my house. And I didn't know those pellets were skipping across the, the hard oh Idaho gosh. frozen snow Bouncing drifts, off the ice, basically burying themselves into his siding. <laughs> and <laughs> he, he was he was cool about it we i we ended my dad paid him for his stuff and he was a good neighbor right but, but yeah that was like really what what sparked like wanting yeah. to be good at extended ranges and my grandpa um got into coyote hunting and that kind of brought him into like hand well he'd always been hand loading and hunting but he started getting these like long-range coyote hunting like cassettes or dvds and then all these books. And when he passed away, I got all that stuff. And there's this old, I, I think it's in our garage right now, but there's this book from, I think like 2003 or four of just, just this guy wrote an old long range book. And I, I read that cover to cover at least a hundred times. And then I, my dad got me a Howa M1500 in 223 one Christmas when I was, I think 14. And then like the rest is history. Cause I went and bought a mill dot scope to put on there. I started learning yeah. holds. I started really getting into it, like understanding like bl external ballistics and terminal terminal ballistics. And, mm -hmm. and then ever since it's just been constantly learning and trying to push it. So how much of that is, did, did you do any formal instruction from anywhere or is most of this self-taught stuff from books and, and other resources like that? Um, until, until about, three years ago it was just all me like just yeah devouring any information i could get my hands on um because three years ago um if you don't already know i work for tier one concealed and i'm in the the media department so we go around and we do tons of classes and most of them are handgun classes but every once in a while we'll go and kind of test our skill in other in other mediums and the first class i went and took with uh, my boss uh, jared Claussen, the owner of tier one concealed we went um, to long range shooters of Utah, 
He does a fantastic intro to long range class, a little two day class down in Price, Utah. And so that was the start of my formal education. And I knew I had a, I had a pretty good grasp on stuff before that class, but that yeah. really kind of solidified a bunch of stuff and like gave me some structure because up until then it was like, I would learn a new concept and go and experiment with it. It wasn't like a, a structure, like stepping stones, taking those baby steps, mastering certain concepts and putting them into practice. Right. It was just, you know, whatever I thought was cool. And I would go and try and it, it, it got me some places, but like after that class, I was like, okay, I, I have like kind of an order of operations I need to follow and get used to and work on. Sure. And that class was awesome. Helped a ton. And then this last November, um, we went up to Hat Creek training up in uh, Riggins, Idaho. That's that it's, town uh, run is, by Brian Morgan. That town is actually the namesake of my child. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that, it is a cool place. If you've it's, ever been up there. Yep. Yep. It's we, beautiful. We've been, uh, that's where my, my dad and I have been steelhead fishing since I was as old, old enough to steelhead fish. That's where the spot is for us to go up and go. And so, oh, yeah. yeah, when, when my kid was born a few years ago, we wanted an R name and, uh, couldn't, mm-hmm. couldn't think of one, had a couple we liked and then he was born and we're like, ah, no, not that one. And then, uh, went like five days without him having a name. And, uh, like on like the fourth or fifth day or whatever, my sister just comes over with a yellow pad and she's like, we're naming this child and start going through all like the R names. And then Riggins came up as a name. We just kind of like threw out, like it went, you know, super early on. I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh, that's pretty cool. And then like, right when we said it, he literally like turned and looked and smiled and we're like, all right, I <laughs> that's guess, my name. <laughs> guess it's Riggins. <laughs> yeah. It's that's it, awesome. you, you've driven past right past Hat Creek then. Yeah. I, yeah, for sure. But yeah, that. Brian is an absolute just wizard at his craft. He's been shooting com- cool. uh, competition for decades, but then that class just like took me to the next level. It's they, yeah. they emphasize um like high wind and high angle. So he basically Which, owns that's totally he, ha- he has access to ten thousand acres. Oh yeah. yeah for people that yeah, don't know, it's literally <laughs> super steep. Like you can there's big old canyons. It's it's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, it's all just like it's all you very rarely get to shoot with no wind. It's yeah. like constant, just 10 gusting to 60 miles an hour. And then yeah. most of the shots are over 10 degree angles up to like 30, almost 45 degree angles. And lots of people don't get to shoot at those angles at extended distances. That's what makes Brian's right. place so unique is like, you can shoot a 1500 yard target at a 30 degree angle, which is unheard of anywhere else and That's crazy the just the the way angle and everything affects your bullet like that i have never learned so much in my life mm-hmm. after going to that class it was it was amazing but then well, yeah after that class i'm just completely enamored with anything <laughs> ballistics and precision rifle yeah well and that's the thing too about getting up there and having that experience like where you said like most people will never just because they're not anywhere where the terrain is conducive to that mm-hmm. type of training and so it's yeah. not one of those things that you actually can simulate at all. It, you just have yeah. to be in a place where I can train like like I can train under these conditions. And, and mm-hmm. I mean, and I've done, um, I did, well, it's been a handful, well, it's been a few years now, but I did uh, two or three years of like some formal uh, defense type training with, with firearms, handguns. Mostly we did some mm-hmm. uh, rifle-based stuff. Uh, with like home defense and, and conce- like extended concealed care. Like it was about a two or three year deal. I was a part of doing this with, um, yeah. but it was one of the big things was you have to train in as many different situations and scenarios as you can. So mm-hmm. you actually have at least something to, to fall back on to make adjustments to, or to react or yeah. to whatever it is. And mm-hmm. like, you don't get it if you don't, like you're not just going to magically rise up to the occasion and like become yeah. this superhero of the moment. If you've never had any experience mm-hmm. in the moment, you know what I mean? Exactly. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So and that, uh, that was another yeah. amazing thing about hat Creek. It's like one day you're shooting like down angle with crazy swirling winds. And then one day you're shooting up and the wind is going up the mountain. So you're trying to compensate the lift. It's lifting your bullet. Like it's just <laughs> so unreal. Wild. It's, I mean, it's just you, you at some point you need like some extended math classes to be able to do that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Without without a Kestrel or yeah. the little ballistics 
calculator we have, like yeah. you'd be, you'd be SOL. <laughs> well, and I think about those guys that like did that in, in decades past before, like kind of this the, oh, yeah. the technology was available to make those in, like they're writing stuff down in little notebooks, making mm-hmm. those and doing the math on the, on the pad in front of them, like literally writing it out and making those adjustments yeah. like that. That stuff's amazing to me to be able to do that that quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And luckily, like, I mean, now I have a bunch of the, the cool, cool kid kit, like the Kestrel yeah. and the rangefinders and stuff. But like, yeah. like I said, back before when I just had my little Howa 223, I was reading all the old books, like on the Vietnam snipers and how to, yeah. how they would true up their dope. Like, like if you wanted to know where you're hitting at 600 yards, you had to go and shoot at 600 yards and you would go and record as much of the environmental variables as you could. And then you basically, you would just go and refer, you'd be like, okay, this shot is similar to one I took six months ago so i'm going to go back and refer to that data and and kind of hope that it matches up enough to make a an acceptable hit on the target i'm shooting at that's uh the gear aspect of it is a really is one of the things i wanted to ask you about too because i imagine like at this point with the amount of experience that you have in this area like you have very specific tastes for gear that you like too Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, and that's another thing that you just have to try a bunch of stuff to find out what you like and what's going to work for, for how you shoot. So how did it, like, how did your kit and your, and your gear and stuff basically evolve through all of this to like kind of where it is now? Um, it was, it, I mean, it's a long process since I was like, actually like trying to pursue it seriously when I was 14 or 15 to now, like back then, I mean, I didn't. I had like just a, a summer job. So I, a long range is an extremely expensive hobby <laughs> yeah. as you probably know. <laughs> yeah. But so back then I had a, a $300 rifle and a, a $200 scope. And I learned in long range, you can only kind of progress as far as your rifle and optic will take you. So like I learned, I learned a lot, but there were limitations. Like the right, the rifle was awesome. That was actually a very accurate rifle for the money. But the optic is what was really limiting me mm. because it, it was just like a, an old Bushnell with a mill dot reticle and it it wouldn't hold zero very well. Um, it was second focal plane. So you had to have it at a certain magnification to have the mill dots be accurate for measuring and, mm. and your holds and stuff. And so I started learning that's like if you do want to actually learn and be serious about it, you you need to get, you need to save and invest in a, at, at the most, a good optic. Like there mm-hmm. rifles, you can, you can true up and you can kind of milk as much accuracy out of as you can, but like optics, there's nothing you can do to make it better. You know, like if you buy yeah. like a cheap Tasco, you're stuck with that capability. Yeah. So that's actually yeah. one of the things, um, I think it was, it might've been Steven Ranella on a meat eater episode where he was, taking some new hunters out and like he he said if because he gets asked all the time like what's the what should i get for gun what should i get for optic and he said well if i had a thousand dollars and i had to get a new gun and a gun and optic he's like i'd spend two hundred dollars on the gun and eight hundred dollars on the scope he's like Mm because you know like just kind of like what you said you're gonna need to see, I mean, you're, that's what you're seeing through. So it's like, it's got to be able to do the things that you yeah, need to do. Yeah. You can't hit what you can't see. Right. And then there's all, there's so much more that goes into a quality optic just other than just glass. Exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. when you, when you, when you do this and you save up and you're buying all this stuff, did you like save up for however long and then just dump it into every single thing? Or were you like adding piece by piece and testing each piece out to it over a period of time? Yeah, it it was a slow build. Like I can't, I couldn't save up a ton of money. My second act precision rifle was a Remington 700 SPS Tactical. It was a 20 inch 308, and that rifle was good. I did a lot to it. I got a little bit better scope as another bush now, but again, I found myself being very limited by its capability. Mm-hmm. And but I did as much as I could to squeeze all the accuracy out of that rifle. It comes in just a Hogue stock with pillar bedding, and I hopped on YouTube and learned how to glass bed, uh, an action in, in the stock. And I did that and that helped a lot. And, um, I basically took it as far as that optic would allow. And then after that, I, I'm, I'm LDS. So after that, I, I went on a mission for two years to England. So that kind of, okay. I didn't do any shooting for that, that long. 
And then when I got back, um, I didn't do a whole lot in long range, but then I started, that's when I found Instagram <laughs> and started getting like seeing all these other people like, wow, these people like the stuff that I do. And so I started pursuing that more. And I start I kind of started developing following around handguns and just kind of being fast like everyone was back in 2016. <laughs> and there's a local company here in Logan called Anarchy Outdoors. And they, they reached out and asked to kind of collaborate with me. And I was like, I'd really like to get more serious into long range. Mm -hmm. And they specialized in doing more budget friendly builds. And so we okay. ended up building out a Tika CTR with a KRG Bravo chassis. And I had a Vortex Razor on that. And that was where I like got the most serious. That's what I shot yeah. the uh, Bryce's long range shooters of Utah class with. Like that was a, it's a fantastic rifle, probably one of the best out of the box rifles you can buy right now. You throw it in a good chassis with some good glass and you can do anything with that rifle. And I, I burnt the barrel out of it. And then I, I hit up criterion barrels and they sent me out a nice barrel. And now my little brother is shooting that rifle. Oh, nice. Cause when you said, uh, when you use the phrase, like got all I could out of that one in reference to your first one, like, is there a point that you've got where you're like, okay, is it just a capability is in terms of distance or are you like, where's your line where you're like, okay, I I'm going to move on and do something a little different now. Um, it was, it was kind of when I just started noticing the issues with the optic and when my zero okay. would shift and I, I, and I would always come back and examine myself first because yeah. my, my grandpa taught me it's always the Indian, not the arrow. Like you can't, it's always easy to blame a, you can't fix a, <laughs> yeah, you can't fix a $50 swing with a $500 bat. So I would go back and I would say like, am, am I the one, am I pulling my shots? Is my breathing bad? Is my trigger control bad? And I did everything I could to examine myself before I blamed the, the gear. And sure. I eventually came to the conclusion that it, it was the optic and the rifle was kind of limiting me too. It was a 308, 20 inch barrel, um, no muzzle break. And I just knew that there were other things that I could be investing in. So I ended up selling that rifle. And then that was when I, uh, went on my, went on my mission to England and then came back and eventually got the Tika and kind of was, had my eyes open to yeah. better glass, uh, triggers, muzzle brakes, stuff like that, that just make things so much easier and superior calibers. Like that one was a six, five Creedmoor and, it was just okay. making things that was when my learning really started to compound because I could learn a principle, take my rifle out and apply it and see the results. Whereas like with the other rifles, I could learn a principle, take it out and try to apply it. And I was sitting there sure. fighting myself. Is it the rifle yeah. that's making this principle not kind of come full circle or is it, is it my ability? And then when I applied it with the Tika, I was like, no, I'm, I'm actually shooting really well. And my right. rifle is working in harmony with that applied knowledge. So that was when I really was like, okay, this is, this is badass. I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah. And then it's like one of those little light bulb moments where mm -hmm. you're yeah, like, oh, tons of light bulb moments. Now I'm going down this rabbit hole for a while, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. So when you're building out one of your, one of your rifles, are, I mean, are you analyzing every piece and putting every piece in there Frankenstein style to each thing that you want or is there i mean like you mentioned out of the box there are some good options are, are you ever keeping things on or are you frankenstein in every piece of of a rifle when you put one together um i wish i could afford to do that but i'm i'm still just a, a young reese <laughs> i've been married for four years just had a my first kid so nice i don't quite have the budget to just be constantly switching things <laughs> out and right. i've also learned seeing other people and from myself doing it when i could that just constantly changing stuff out is cool and you can learn a lot, but you're the biggest thing you're doing is kind of hindering your ability because once I just settled down with the Tika, how I wanted it and just started putting tons of rounds down range, I started yeah. to intimately know that rifle and I could yeah. make all the shots I needed that like in yeah. inside 800 yards, I was surgical. Like we I have a video of me smoking a spray paint can at 818 yards first shot. And that was after probably 800 rounds through that rifle. So I just, I just yeah. knew how it shot. I knew how it felt. I knew what position it liked to be in, you know, stuff like that. Well, and that's cool to, to hear too, because I was, what well, was in February, I was down in an event in South Carolina called Winter Strong. And, uh, 
there's a bunch of people and there's like all these different sections of like clinics that are happening and they're mm-hmm. all like in the outdoor realm. One of them was uh, some long range basics and it's, you know, you're only in it for a couple hours on one day and they're moving a ton of people through. Yeah. So we were doing them on, uh, on rim fires just because mm-hmm. it's easier to move people through and, you know, just learn positions through prone yeah. and kneeling and all that kind of stuff. Um, but one of the things that the instructor said, who's been a, a sniper instructor for like 15 something years, he said, I would rather you like, like what you said, he's like, I'd rather you shoot a million rounds through one gun and know it like it's a, a fifth appendage. than you be the guy that mm-hmm. has 500 gun arsenal at your home. Like you're way more yeah. effective with that one mm-hmm. single one, uh, than you are just because you have a ton. Yeah, exactly. And that has been my philosophy since I've like, after the Tika, I was like, okay, like I don't, I, as much as I want to, like, there's so many cool rifles out there that I would love to just own and shoot a ton. But right, right now, eventually I'll have a big collection. Like I, I sometimes I bag on the, the collectors, but it's mostly <laughs> right. just because deep down I'm jealous of them. Like, yeah, I wish I had like a, <laughs> I just don't a have it TRG, <laughs> all these AXS, you know, all the cool stuff, but it is cool showing up. Like I do have one of the best rifles you can buy. Now I have a, a accuracy international, I put a lot of rounds through that and it, it shows like, I don't want to be cocky, but when I, when I went to Hat Creek, I was, I was a little bit ahead of some of, some of the other shooters. There's obviously lots of better shooters than me, but I knew my rifle and a bunch of the other shooters there brought three rifles with them. And when they weren't shooting well with one, they would switch. And sometimes they switched because the wind, it wasn't, it was an external variable. It wasn't, it wasn't a variable with the rifle, but. Sure. And that, that really solidified it for me. It's like, yeah, having one rifle and just learning it and knowing it is the best way to see long-term results. So the one that you have now, what caliber is that in? So it's in 6.5 Creedmoor. And with okay. the AIs, you can, it has a, a quick change barrel system. So I have a 16-inch 308 barrel for it too, oh, right just on. for kind of expanded capability. So I can be a little shorty compact rifle or I have like my the mile gun right now. Yeah. And that's the, cause that's one of the things I, I wanted to ask was like your preference. And I'm sure it depends on, well, what's it for? Like, what's the purpose mm-hmm. I'm yeah. going out with? And then that would kind of dictate what, what my answer would be for that. Is that yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where I have, like, I don't, I don't have the, the luxury of being like, okay, this is my super lightweight backpacking rifle. And this is my match sure. rifle. I have to ball all the things I want to do with it into one and, I went with the AI just because I've dreamed of getting an AI since I was nine years old. I saw it in uh, the L96, the green meanie in a, in a book. And I was like, I want one of those rifles. And back then I didn't, I didn't know you, I thought you had to be a sniper to get behind one of those rifles. And then, <laughs> right. and then I learned, it's like, you can buy those. Then they're very expensive, they but I got anybody. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I saved for a while and my wife was very nice and I actually ordered it while she was in labor with her first son. <laughs> but oh that's awesome that's 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 a that just shows how cool my wife is she's like yeah babe congrats you bought your you bought your dream <laughs> rifle but yeah so i just have to do like i am i am very lucky now that i've gotten i'm working with a few other companies like seekins sent me their new hit rifle and so i have another okay. rifle that has a little bit different capabilities and i have another i can't talk about it a lot right now but i'm working with a company called group zero a local precision a custom rifle company and oh, wow. we're doing a, a collaborative rifle that should be we should be releasing here hopefully hopefully this month or early next month that's but awesome. yeah so that's cool i get to use what i've learned to help other companies yeah. and in turn i get to be rewarded with a few other rifles so i have a small collection that's growing now but but yeah with my small budget i had to use the one rifle for everything sure. like hunting competition recreation and learning and and it worked well the ai's an amazing rifle it it has exceeded every one of my expectations with the and, and when you brought it up just now when you said hunting i wanted to ask you if you if you do hunt regularly and because that's with the long range stuff that there's some real 
specific feelings about long range shooting and, mm-hmm. and hunting. But most of the time it's by people that don't literally train it all the time. Like you yeah. do, just taking shots 300 yards beyond what they've ever shot before, because they just see the only animal they're going to see, you know? Yeah. And, and that... so there's a little bit of a different approach to it when like you literally train for that all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. There's all these hunting pages that like most of them are convicted poachers because they want to get the, the best animal to post and so that everybody will buy their unique logoed hat and their pre-workout and stuff. And <laughs> it, it, it drives me nuts because my dad and my grandpa like drove it into me to be an ethical hunter. Like you are, right. you're killing and consuming another living animal and you should yep. make that as painless as possible. You shouldn't, you shouldn't wound an animal. You should, you should make that, you know, transfer of energy. You're, you're, using their flesh to feed your family you should make that as painless as possible out of respect to to them for providing for you so and yeah so that it just it infuriates me when i see people like get super excited when they they shot beyond their limits and hit an an elk in the guts and it just sits there and suffers and they're all high five and yeah i hit it at 600 yards but hey hit it in the guts and it's going to sit there and suffer and when they have the rifle that's extremely capable for it for that kind of shooting, but they themselves are, are too lazy to go out and actually train. They'll shoot 20 right. rounds a year because that's right. all they need. And be the week before the hunting trip, just to make sure it's yeah. sighted in. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. They're, they're, they're too it. busy working on their merch when they really should be practicing <laughs> to ethically take an animal. Like it, it, and at the same time, it's, it's cool to shoot an animal at long range, but I, I'm not, gonna go out and be like okay there's an elk at 800 yards i'm gonna do everything i can to put the stock on right and get even closer you know yeah, exactly those guys like, are like you want it to be as easy as possible yeah like, yeah 100 <laughs> i mean there you want because that gives you the best chance for it being you know like you said like a clean ethical moment and yeah. it like if you literally cannot get closer and it's the last 10 minutes of your last day and it's like lights going down you're like okay i've got this is it. This is the moment. Like then Mm -hmm. that's a conversation, you know, but it's, and, but like, and I said too, if you're training like you do and you've, and you can hit a paint can at 800 yards consistently, like you're also going into that shot much more confidently. Oh yeah. Like it's not, it's not a, I hope this hits. I'm going to try and guess around this one. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I can hit this easy if I wanted. It's just, I would prefer not to, if I can get closer. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like, look like you go and look at their shots and like the, the vital area on like an elk is like a six, seven MOA target inside of 800 yards. Like it's a huge yeah. target, like accuracy yeah. speaking. And like, you should be able to shoot one MOA or better with all these fancy carbon fiber barrels that they're using, but it's just their, yeah. their ignorance to external ballistics. That is really what's getting them. Cause like, I'm sure they could stack 10 shots in a dime with that rifle, but it's what happens after the hundred yards is what's really going to affect their shot. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and and when you look at it from a a hunting standpoint too, I mean, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that mint mobile offers premium wireless, starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, And using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint... You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That is mintmobile.com slash waypoint. 
Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. I, it, you know, I don't want to be one of those guys that like bashes other hunters if they're doing it right. You know, like if they're being mm-hmm. ethical about, and I say yeah. doing it right, like ethical standards, like we're talking about mm-hmm. doing your best to make a clean, efficient kill. Right. Yeah. 100%. Uh, if you're in that mode, like hunting is the pursuit. You know, mm-hmm. and so like that's the act of you trying to get as close as you can before you have to make that decision. You know, so it's yeah, it's like with mine, I just got a new uh, a new scope last fall, and like I you know, I really wasn't comfortable beyond like four four fifty with it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's just because I hadn't spent enough time behind it yet because I got it last fall, and so I like throw it on, throw it on my two seventy, which is my my hunting rifle. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I spent several days at the range putting as many as I could before I had to, before I had to go and try it out. But I'm like, I'm not gonna, if, if, if a shot approaches itself, I'm not going to go beyond four at, and that's yeah. like, I'm in this moment, just because it's new, I'm like, I'm even struggling to get to four, you mm-hmm. know? Hey. So <laughs> my, my mouth's getting meaty. Go up. lay down, bud. Go lay down. <laughs> but yeah, like understanding your limitations is huge and. Like to me, when when someone does have a successful hunt, the 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 scouting and the stock to me are way more yeah. impressive than the shot because there's so many companies that will go and do all the hard stuff for you and give you a turret that just says one two three four five six like you know all the range and if you do your part and you you have half a brain to range your target and put it on six fifty, it's pretty easy to hit stuff with those magnum calibers and if you can make a clean trigger press, but getting into the position scouting like understanding where the animal is going to be that day and stalking getting within range of that animal to me is way more impressive and a lot harder than just pulling a trigger yeah so yeah if you can i want go ahead oh yeah like because there's the guys that'll shoot it's it's so easy to get within 500 yards of an animal and then like and beyond that there's people that shoot animals at a thousand yards that's so easy you can be sitting here talking like we are and the animal's yeah. not going to care but like <laughs> right. getting within 200 and closer to that that's impressive like you you have yeah. to know what you're doing you have to know which way the wind's going you have to know the terrain you have to know what the animal is going to be looking for that's way more impressive to me yeah and and like i said too it's just you got to look at the situation if it's going to mm-hmm. be you know, if you have time and you have a chance to get closer, like make it easier on yourself. It's just going to yeah, be an easier yeah. shot. If and, you and you're also making it easier on the animal too. Exactly. Like your your yeah. bullet's going to have a lot more energy. You're going to hit it in a much better spot on the animal. And it's just a yeah. better hunt all around. For sure. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the stuff uh, that was in recent news this week. Cause I kind of wanted to get your, your thoughts on it. The one um, there was a couple that today, uh, the New York, the New York one came down about, uh, and, and I haven't read the full thing yet, but was this the concealed carry one that was today in New York? I think so. Yeah. I haven't read into it a bunch either, but I did okay. read, I think it was one of the justices in the Supreme court kind of brought up just past circumstances and really laid it down. I think that it was, um, basically you don't have to justify uh, you're act. Well, you don't have to justify your rights, which is a hilarious mm-hmm. statement yeah. to make. But that's yeah. really what it is. Like mm-hmm. the like you had in New York, you had to specify that you were going to need it in a specific self defense instance. Yeah, you like, had to like show a restraining order and be like, yeah, my yeah. my ex husband's trying to kill me or something. If it was a female, exactly. Example. And and I think they yeah got rid of all that, which was is wild in mm-hmm. yeah that the state that of New York surprised like, me that big being time where it was. That. Which was ridiculous. I mean, because like a week ago or two weeks ago was when the body armor thing came down, mm-hmm. which was when they told people in New York you can't have body armor anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, and then yeah. and th- so who freaking knows what's happening right now? I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff. I think there was another one that was earlier this week, and now that I, I don't have it in front of me, I can't remember what it was. But there's been a lot of things recently in the as far as Second Amendment stuff goes. Um, around po- like policies that has been happening recently, 
and uh, it's been it's been pretty interesting to watch like the specific things that are coming up, like this one in New York and and some of the other mm-hmm. ones. Yeah, that was a that was a big win. Like the I read some of the excerpts of kind of his final decision, and he brought up basically how the Second Amendment basically doesn't only apply to when it was written because he brought up all the other amendments on like uh, freedom of speech and press and stuff like that. It's like, they still apply to television, social media and stuff. He's like, so that obviously carries over to, you don't, you can't just own muskets. Like it, it carries over to modern arms and accessories. Like, so I, hopefully they'll talk about NFA items because those like suppressors and stuff, I'm waiting on three suppressors and it's driving me nuts. But but yeah, I really liked how he talked about that. He talked about um, how mad like the, the the sellers back in the day would have been if they started releasing gun legislation and saying like, oh, you can't have this certain kind of firearm. It's like, oh, well, there's no cops out here. There's there's literally right. no infrastructure to help us. Like it's only us. And to take away yeah. our guns is like saying like, we hate you, which every day i'm like the government hates us they do hate us. they still they do anyways yeah they that hasn't changed changed. (laughs) (laughs) yeah the um with that example and then the one with today like how you said he's he's applying it to or using the other amendments it's like that's that should be the first analogy to make on any of them like yeah. if you're yeah. if you're gonna bind one to a time period, then they're all bound to a time period. Mm-hmm. Then it's you like, know, yeah, like then if you're gonna this you're medium gonna we're talking speech, on now you, should be restricted. You, <laughs> yeah, then you better be just writing letters that are delivered on horseback if if mm-hmm. free speech is gonna apply to you. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's too funny. But yeah, hopefully it leads we're, to just international freedom of carry. Which everyone well, starts to, some people will gawk at and be like, no, then everyone can have guns. It's like, <laughs> everyone does have point. guns. There's just there's yeah. just people that don't care about the law. And then there's people, yeah. law-abiding citizens that want to have the guns, you know, like me. But as soon as they say you can't have guns, I'm still going to have guns. I'm just right. going to talk about it. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> I think there was a... There was a meme I saw a while back. Maybe you shared it. I don't remember if it was where I saw it, but it was talking about one of the gun bills coming up. And it said, if you're going to take away my guns, I'm just going to get them from behind Walmart instead of from my usual guy that I go to that owns the shop. I'm just going to get them by the dumpster behind Walmart instead Mm -hmm. from some shady dude. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. still going to get them. (laughs) Yep. The black market network will get a lot bigger when when that happens. Well, and the one that was super, I mean, it's so, there's so, in, in recent weeks since it happened, the stuff about um, the shooting in Texas with the police department down there is just wild. That mm-hmm. the, with, with this week where they're releasing all the footage from inside the school and they're all way more armed and, and defended than anybody thought. And then they're still taking away a fellow police officer's handgun who was the husband of one of the teachers trying to get inside who died. and they detained him. It, the one who wants, who was killed and like mm-hmm. t- detained him and took his firearm. Like that was the police taking it away from another cop. Like you'd think they're yeah. not going to do the same that's, to like just regular people. Like that's in just insanely infuriating to even think about like, you know, yeah, we have wives your wife yeah. calls you and said, I've been shot. I'm dying. Like you're well, obviously we're going to be going and blowing the doors off the hinges to get to her. And then a mm-hmm. bunch of guys grab you and detain you and disarm you. And your wife ends up dying. Like I cannot think of a more infuriating circumstance. And like they're police. Like that's what's oh, yeah. the, the yeah. most infuriating. It's not just some dude. Mm-hmm. Trying to, yeah. You know, like like they, they literally signed up to protect people. Like I know a ton of good cops that would have, that are extremely good shots and that would have went in and ended that situation. But there's also a bunch of cops that are either corrupt or just not fit for the job and doing it for other reasons. And I, I not really in a place to judge them, but I can, I'll still have opinions and I'll still vocalize those opinions about that. And just that one is the worst. Like it, more stuff keeps coming out to where there's, it wasn't just, they were scared. Like I, I feel yeah. like there was there's a bunch of other variables in play to like the 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 police chief being involved with um he was a campaign donor to Beto O'Burke, who's extremely anti gun. And yeah. then him, the fact that he's 
donating to an anti-gun politician. And then when there's a big, there's a guy shooting people with an AR, he calls in and tells his officers to stand down. Like, I don't know a few can connect those dots. Maybe he's like, Oh cool. (laughs) Perfect opportunity to use this as just campaign fodder. Like, yeah. And and maybe, maybe daddy O'Burke will be proud of me, you know? And, and what I think is, it's what's sad and what's kind of frustrating. There's a lot of it that's frustrating, but a lot of people don't want to believe that people could be like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that, like that type of thinking is, is extremely real. And uh, there are, there are people with like just pure evil intent and like that will Mm -hmm. always be the case, which is the, and, and so, but they're like, Oh no, nobody ever thinks like that. Like there are, so many individuals who who think like that and have thought like that throughout history like mm-hmm. if people want to want to do harm to you they will find a way and that oh, doesn't yeah. always mean physically but like they will remove your ability to and that's yeah. the whole point like that's what i think uh i think psychologically a lot of people have that that block where they're like oh nobody's actually bad you know, it's and yeah. it's just been like been fed fluffy nonsense their, yeah. their entire life and shielded from it. And like that's mm-hmm. throughout history, that's never really been the case. Like stuff was terrible for a long time and not terrible in the sense mm-hmm. you couldn't have a happy life, but like kids were exposed to you know what real death and violence were. As yeah, it was, part it of was their regular lives. back then. Yeah. 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 And, and so, so it's it's yeah, they just it's frustrating. They, I, I just think they don't want to accept the reality that they live in. They, they're just so ingrained and used to how easy their life is. Like they, they feel like that the cops will come and save them. Yeah. They, like it's just, it's just unfathomable that something bad could, like uh, someone could come and assault you, shoot you, stab you, and they yeah. just always think I'll have time to call the cops, or you know, they've just never. Mm-hmm been exposed to that or they refuse to accept it like like this like someone walked in and started shooting a bunch of people it happens all over the world all the time that's i mean obviously in other countries it's happening way more and those people are a lot more exposed to it but mm-hmm. yeah it's i they're just i think the, about this a lot yeah yeah me too <laughs> and the and i think what happens one of the reasons that that they find that so hard to accept that reality is because when they do that, that also means that they have to accept how vulnerable they are to it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and most people have zero ability to protect them, even themselves, let alone yeah. family if they've got it. You know, which is why we're talking about things like doing training and and yeah. understanding your weapons and how important it is to just your own personal safety, let alone if you've got a family, you've got to take care of too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just opens up this can of worms to them. Like, like for me, I like, yeah, I, I do. I do enjoy training. I enjoy handguns. I enjoy rifles. I, I like to learn these skills, like other skills. Like I've been way big into lock picking for the past few years and stuff like That's that. Dope. <laughs> it, it's super fun, but that stuff comes in useful. And yeah. once you sort of learn how to do those things, like proficiently accepting the responsibility that those kind of entail, like once you understand, like, like, like medical training, for example, like once you understand how to use a tourniquet, how to, how to pack a wound, how to use a chest seal, stuff like that, you're also kind of accepting that, you know, it's that Spider-Man quote with great power comes yeah. great responsibility. Once you understand yeah. and are good at those, those tasks, you're kind of, putting that responsibility on yourself. And I think that's what people are really not wanting to accept. So they're like, Oh, if I, if I learn how to do this, I'm going to have to use it. And there's lots of people that will learn how to use it, but they learn how to do it, but they won't use it too. Like the cops at Uvalde, like they all, they had, they had rifles, they had shields, they had body armor. They had the training. They were either told not to go in, which they were, or some of them maybe just didn't want to. We're, we're scared. Yeah. And everyone's going to be scared in a situation like that. That would be terrifying. Yeah. There's someone shooting back. You're, you could die. But you kind of yeah. have to accept that. And there's there's a greater good. There's kids in there. Like, you risk everything none for of kids. The, like, now that you have your own kid, like, there's no question. Yeah. And none of the potential answers to that whole thing are good. 
<laughs> like, mm-hmm. no, like yeah. even the most innocent explanation is still pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so just something you as... have to accept in a world like that we yeah. live in. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and into that, as far as like the, the preparation and the training, where, where do you see like the easiest place for someone who has, who has like made this realization, like this whole, you know, maybe their whole world has been rocked and now they realize like, damn, I'm responsible for myself now. I need to get proficient in some of these things. Mm-hmm. Where is like the easiest, like, or where would you recommend someone starts? Is it with handguns? Is it medical stuff? If it's with handguns, like where do you recommend people start with, if they're just like at the very beginning of this? I, I would obviously do as much research as you possibly can. Like there, I get tons of messages every day uh, from people asking me questions like that, what handgun, what stuff like that. And I'll I'll always answer them and I'll always give my best recommendation, but I also recommend them to do their own research. I don't want them to just be coming at me looking for confirmation bias for me to to kind of validate their purchases just because I I have experience and and stuff like that. But I always want them to be doing their own research. But to further that answer, I would, I would say like the, one of the, I, I have never been there, but I've heard amazing uh, reviews from people who are beginning. You probably heard of it, Front Sight down in Las Vegas. They are okay. yeah. very, very good at, like, you've never even shot a gun before, taking you to yeah. where you could defend yourself. You're obviously not going to be, like, a grandmaster USPSA shooter at the end of the class. They're sure. not teaching, like, speed. They're not teaching any of that. They're They're taking you from not even understanding a handgun to being confident and safe carrying one and using it in a defensive situation. You're obviously not going to lay down like a sub two second build drill center mass, but you'll be, you'll be more comfortable than you would have like, than just grabbing a gun and hoping and like spraying and praying. And like I said, I've never been to that class, but I know I have good friends that have been there multiple times and they're like, yeah, like it wasn't, it wasn't like this badass run and gun class, but you like they took their wives and they're like, yeah, they, they know how to handle like the beginningest of beginners. Yeah. And then obviously from um, there you should be training, you should seeking out other, other stuff from there, but that's a fantastic place to start. So, I mean, and then that's usually what I recommend too, is like find somebody to teach you. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there is a, a level to understanding and learning on your own. And because that means you want to keep learning and you're going to seek yeah. out the things that you are enjoying or impassionate about. Right. But mm-hmm. it's just like getting a coach. Like I, I, I'm a health coach, so it's like it's just like getting a coach or a business coach or whatever it is. Like just get some instruction. It's gonna help. Yeah, yeah. Like cut down that learning time so much. And one of uh, one of my buddies has uh, an instructional place. I mean, they're all over the country. No matter where you are, you oh, can yeah. find one that's close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like the, the, a reputable one. Um, a buddy of mine, mm-hmm. Ian, um, runs a runs a place called Rune Nation, and they. Oh do, yeah, he yeah, actually travels. Yeah, he actually travels all over the country and does seminars and stuff. But I mean, like, there's all mm-hmm. kinds of places like that. If you're not able to get close to one of where theirs are, yeah, like, yeah, that can teach you at the basics or wherever, whatever level you're at. Like, just get some instruction mm-hmm. and then actually practice. Like, <laughs> that's yeah. the reason that we were yeah. circling it back to like the long range hunting, right? Like, you feel confident confident shooting an animal at 800 yards because you shoot stuff at 800 yards all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the same if you're just doing personal defense stuff. Like practice, uh, practice with your, with your weapon, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's, it's that after the class dedication, like you're not, you're not going to leave a class being confident. You're going to leave the class with like the software, but you need to myelinate that information. You need to go home and, and drill it. You need to put it into your subconscious. Like, like for me now, drawing my gun and shooting six rounds really fast. I don't even have to think about it. Yeah. It's like, it's like blinking now, but that's just because I've spent the last six, seven years doing that. Yeah. And it, it, and it takes a lot of effort. Do you do a lot of like dry fire drills? Cause right now specifically, that's going to be a major hiccup for mm-hmm. a lot of people that are at the beginning. Yeah. It's like, dude, the ammo's freaking expensive right now. And there's none of it mm-hmm. anywhere. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, very blessed and lucky with my position at, at work for our media team we we get to go to a lot of classes and we we get to shoot weekly to produce that media and so i haven't been dry firing as much as i should but i still get to stay sharp 
but yeah, dry yeah. fire is invaluable when it comes to staying sharp on a budget. And that will, that will, that will be the difference between life and death in a situation where you can where getting the gun out and getting a clean sight picture that that's dry fire. So yeah. if you can get that down to where it's, you're proficient and confident and to where it's like, instead of, instead of it's a clear garment, purchase, draw, marriage, presentation, sight picture, it's just draw that that's what you're trying to get into your, into your subconscious should the need ever arise. And, and that kind of preparation, like that's what we're talking about. You're like earlier, we're never going to rise up to the Mm -hmm. occasion. Like you're always just going to fall to what you like your highest. Yeah. You fall back to the, the level of your training. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you want as much of that as possible. <laughs> yeah, you're not just going to magically exceed your <laughs> right. your abilities like like in the movies. Like there's no there's no just rage that you'll righteous rage that will make <laughs> see, you I'm shoot like a grandmaster. Like, and that's what I feel like. That's a huge detriment that everyone is just relying on. They want they're watching all these yeah. cartoons and these Marvel movies where you know the bad guy has the upper hand and and they they fall back into a memory. And then rage and beat the bad guy. It's like that doesn't happen in real life. You can you can pull motivation and stuff from that, but right. like the the skill's not just gonna be raptured to you in the moment, right. and you're gonna kill the bad guy. Right. So uh, we you mentioned uh, lock picking as another skill that you're learning. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any more of things that you want, like things like that, like kind of general survival type uh, skills that that you're maybe you've have learned that are maybe unusual or like, what are some other ones that you want to pick up or work on? Um, yeah. Lock picking has been just one of my pastimes for the past three years now. And I, and it's like, there's lock picking and then there's like surreptitious entry. And so like lock picking is just, you know, defeating the mechanism inside a lock. And once you get, once you start understanding that and understanding how many other different types of locks there are and like half the time you don't even need to pick the lock to bypass the the barrier that's blocking you there there's so many other tools and methods and knowledge like like that that also just opened my eyes to the world of surreptitious entry and restraint defeat as they say like it's it's not just padlocks like there's so many other ways to yeah get into somewhere where you're not supposed to be or, right. you know, I've, I've, I've gotten pretty good at getting into cars, like obviously legally helping people like my sister <laughs> right. locked. I've, I've gotten into probably five or six different cars. I have a little, uh, vehicle entry kit that I've used and other stuff. Like my, my, one of my good friends locked himself out of his house and I picked his deadbolt and got in, but that, it's been extremely useful. And every time I do it, I'm like, wow, I should practice more. And, you yeah. know, the night before I spent, yeah. I've got mad at me because I spent two hours <laughs> working on locks, but <laughs> right. that's been a, that's been an awesome skill and something that I do want to continue getting really good at and learning more of, because, you know, there could be a super cool lock that's super hard to pick, but whoever installed it did a bad job and you could, you can bypass the, the latch super easy. Yeah. Like you could spend an hour picking the lock or 15 seconds, just, you know, running a shim down the, down the door frame right and and that's uh, where that all that other knowledge comes from that's one of those ones that's that's been super fascinating to me too the other one um and i think you might have shared i can't remember the the page name now but you might have shared it a week or so ago but there's this kid that's doing a bunch of like comms stuff Mm -hmm. and uh and learning a bunch about all that and that yeah. stuff is crazy to me. Like just, I mean, methods oh, yeah. of communication that we don't, nobody uses anymore, but it's like mm-hmm. kind of the fail safe level of communication that, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. that, that every entity, like the government uses and like all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, it's wild to go down that rabbit hole. That's one that's been really interesting to me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, like, I have a very basic understanding of ham radios. Like I, I could yeah. get in contact with someone, I could find a repeater and talk to someone, but like all the other stuff that everyone's getting into, like the encryption and, uh, the stronger yeah. radars, the UHF, VHF, all that stuff is, I, I do want to eventually get into that, but some of that takes a, a significant investment, but yeah. you can like, you can get a, you can get a Baofeng, the UV five R off Amazon for 30 bucks. And you can get, you can be very effective with that. Obviously you don't want to use that if you're going to do some hit on someone. Cause you know, anybody <laughs> like some old timer could be like talking to his buddy and it's like, yeah, take him now. And you're like, Oh, what? 
you know, the, it's it's just <laughs> right. open to everyone. So, but yeah, right. The, That's fun. The, the ham radios are super useful, and I think everyone should know how to do that because, like, when when it does hit the fan, like you're going to be able to communicate. Verizon's not going to help yeah. you because right. <laughs> the five G towers are probably going to be down because I might be shooting them. You know, <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> right that's hilarious they got, mm-hmm. uh so my parents place they had a neighbor that him and his old wife were like in their 80s and they just moved out of their house mm-hmm. and my uncle was the one who bought it so we're in there helping like clean out the house after they moved out and uh he had an entire room in his basement that was in an, like um, it was a huge ham radio setup i mean like he had a full desk and like these thick, thick cables that he had like oh, dozens yeah. of them that were running in, and he like cut out holes in the wall to like run them through to different, you know, where all of the things he needed to have. And we walk in and we're just like, who was this guy? <laughs> like it was wild, but yeah. that kind of stuff. I'm like, that's, that's such a, like there's a whole generation that eventually that mm-hmm. skill is going to be gone. You know, oh, that's yeah. one of those things mm-hmm. where, somebody's going to be the last one to know it and they're going to die and that nobody's going to know how to do it anymore. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a guy like that just down the road from me. He's got all sorts of antennas coming out of his house and his, he's actually the (laughs) the repeater for our, for our town. Like that's, that's the repeater that you'll tap into if you're going to be like bouncing it off the other ones. That's crazy. That's, it's a, it's a dying art ham radios. There's but but I mean, there's lots of those skills though. And that's kind of the point. Like, Mm there's a lot of this is studying those things. So somebody knows how to do them again, yeah. you know, and then you maybe have the ability to teach it to somebody else. And that just furthers mm-hmm. the, the skill learning process too. But there's so many of those that I'm like, oh, I yeah. want to do all of them. Like, where do I, you know, mm-hmm. like which one do I yeah, want to it's... pick and work on for a while? <laughs> yeah. And you don't want to be mediocre at any of them. Like that, that's what right, frustrates exactly. me. Like when I start something, I'm like, why am I not at the level I want to be like only a week yeah. into it? Like lock picking it, that's what made me get like, I'm pretty proficient at it now, but at, at the beginning I was like, I'm not cracking locks like the guys on YouTube and it was pissing me off. And that's kind of what <laughs> I got obsessed with it over a, a winter. So every night right. I spend like three hours picking locks, give myself a headache, but like I mean, it dark, paid off. It's dark at 5 PM. What else am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, that's a, that's what I recommended to a lot of people. It's like, you can't be outside like training, shooting and like when it's 10 degrees and dark. So pick something that you can do indoors. And I, yeah. I probably sold thousands of lock picks for a couple companies. I'm just like, yeah, this is the kid I started with. I answer like 10 of those <laughs> messages a day now. Every time I post a lock picking awesome. video, <laughs> they ask, but it's so a good do skill. You do, any, do you do any instruction uh, at any of these things that you do? I don't. I I still I still consider myself a novice at the very best at all everything I do. Like I I've I've I'm confident in like long range and like handguns and stuff, but I will always refer people to the instructors that that taught me. I yeah. I feel like if I'm going to consider myself a mentor to someone, I should be able to like just like expound the the information that yeah. is needed. I should, yeah. You know, I, I just don't feel confident enough and I don't, I don't want to take away from the people that, that taught me. I don't want to go to a, go to a class that took two days and then just start regurgitating their information to sure. someone like, like I'm some wise old sage, you know, sure. like I'll give you, tips. You have a desire to teach at some point. I mean, is that something you would want to do at some point? Um, not yet. Like it, yeah. it's hard to kind of, I do, I do really enjoy like depart, like imparting information on people. And what I do feel confident in as far as like conveying info to other people is just stuff that I've had experience in. Like, so what sure. I do kind of not instruct, but give a lot of advice on is getting into long range and stuff like that. Just because I, I've gone through those steps that I have regret from like, you know, buying cheap optics, buying a cheap rifle and trying to like buy a rifle, buy a scope, and then go and try and shoot a thousand yards. Like right. I, I do have experience in just that process and be like, no, like I've been there. You should save for six more months, get a better, higher quality glass, get this rifle. Yeah. Don't get this. You know, I do, I do feel like I, I can convey that info and be like, no, like this is what you should do, but it's nothing sure. with like, like I'm not going to go out and tell someone how to read the wind. Like I'll, I'll give little sure. tips of stuff that like, 
I have experience that has helped me, but I'm not going to be like, Oh yeah, like this, this is the method, you know, I'll be like, no, sure. like, go talk to Brian Morgan, go talk to Brian Litz, go talk to all these other people that are absolute like masters of their craft. And yeah. your, your time invested will be pay far greater dividends than it would with me. Right. Well, that's, I mean, that's a big, like a lot of people don't have that sort of <laughs> humility, honestly, mm -hmm. especially on like social media stuff. It's kind of everybody who has an account has the authority. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's... Like I, sometimes I think I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I take some cool pictures and stuff and I'm like, why do I keep like, I enjoy Instagram and stuff, but sometimes it does boggle my mind. Like, why do I keep growing? And I, right. I'm not, I'm not out there. Like there's, there's pages out there thing, that are dude. like legit snipers. So like there's so much more legit, like well-practiced, like masters that are out there that only have like five, 600 followers. And every yeah. day they post serious information, like good stuff that you should be like memorizing and committing to memory and stuff like that. Where, where me, it's like, haha, cool rifle. <laughs> <laughs> like you should be following right. these other people and, right. and i'm always sharing their stuff anytime someone posts like a paragraph and like it's obviously not it's like just some cell phone picture of something of like a hide or something that they did but the paragraph below is really what i'm following them for and that's what i try and share yeah. to them i'm like yeah like i have some cool pictures and cool guns like but go check out this guy if you actually want to have like a learning experience and develop a skill that's awesome, man. I love that. Well, uh, we're right up on an hour, man. Uh, I had a blast talking in this conversation. Yeah, this, I learned, yeah, this was learned fun. a lot. This was fun. Really enjoyed it. Um, where are uh, are you just on Instagram? Where's like the places people can follow what you're doing and things you're working on? Yeah, I'm I'm only on Instagram. Like I, cool. I have a life. I have a kid, so I don't. I try and <laughs> post every day, and I try and actually do some information and stuff, but eventually my instagram will go away and i'll i'll be a family one but yeah i'm, I'm just clark shooter voluntary on or involuntary instagram will your instagram will be taken yeah away. yeah <laughs> they'll either take it away from me or because I, I mean i do right. post a lot of governmental hate and stuff like that but <laughs> but for the most part i just i just kind of document my my journey as a as a marksman and other things yeah. i do some of my like i'll post my my dog and my my kid and my wife and stuff just to because yeah. some people like enjoy seeing what my life is like, but yeah, but yeah, just on Instagram for now. And I'm also like, yeah. you'll see me a lot on the tier one concealed page too, as I'm on, on the media team and stuff. So you can also yeah. see what I do there. That's where awesome. I don't have my own YouTube channel, but I do. I'm mostly in all the YouTube videos for tier one concealed. So you'll see me there as well. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate you making time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. PenFed's got